there, listeners. Not So Giant Women is back with our Steven Universe podcast. Ivy and Daria about to take a look at the mysterious episode, Future Vision. <laughs> it's actually probably not so serious, is it? We kind of talked about it last yeah, time. <laughs> we probably did the most comprehensive chat about an episode we haven't seen yet last week. Yeah, because uh, I was kind of talking about how they've implied some stuff about Garnet. So we are going into this expecting it to be a Garnet episode. So, yeah, episode 39. I guess we should get started and see what we think. <laughs> we are the crystal gems. We'll always save the day. And if you think we What was that? Oh, nothing important. That was where Stephen and we all learnt about future vision. Yay! And in Stephen's case, wishes he hadn't. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Straight into the recap where Stephen, having declared himself a big boy now, is clearing away some of his toys and action figures. Not MC or this week Master of Ceremonies Bear Bear, just in case Stephen does need a DJ anytime soon. <laughs> but taking a box of toys down the stairs, Stephen... Slips on a tennis ball, but instead of landing at the bottom, he is caught by Garnet. He was lucky she was there. She says it wasn't luck. And after some cajoling, describes her future vision. Her future vision, she goes on to describe, is not simply a matter of seeing exactly what happens in the future so much as seeing a number of possibilities. This fascinates Stephen. And after some working out on the beach, he asks her what he's going to do for breakfast and she says he's going to go into town to the big donut or he's likely to which he does <clears throat> he asks if there's a future in which she comes with him and does increasingly elaborate things with his eyebrows and she eventually agrees a walk around town consuming donuts and fry bits and Stephen asks Garnet a lot of questions about what the potential outcome of their situations are and she she keeps describing that there are possibilities where he may die through various unexpected circumstances, such as choking, food poisoning, falling down a manhole. It's worth sidebarring at this point that a lot of the predictions Garnet's coming up with require no future vision powers whatsoever, and probably actually pretty good guesses if you can just observe what happens around you and what happens to Stephen. Stephen starts to have what could only be called an existential crisis, fearing every possibility in which he might die and seeing everything he does as opening to a raft of dangers. He can't even bring himself to make a sandwich properly because he can't pick up the knife. He, in fact, makes a rather gross-looking sandwich with like a half a tub of mayonnaise on it. When the other three are called away to a mission, Amethyst and Pearl popping in to make their quick appearances this episode... Stephen begs not to be left alone with his mad predictions of the future, but Garnet says she can't be with him all the time and they have to go on this mission, but at least cautions him not to get on the roof. And anyone who doesn't know that this ends of Stephen on the roof has never watched television before in their life. <laughs> While they are gone, a storm erupts. Stephen still has more fantasies of various household items and magic wasps killing him. He decides the only thing to do is to face his fate and gets up on the roof. While he is up there, the other three return. Garnet emerges and tells him to get down from the roof. He says he wants to face his fate. She says that the only reason she told him all these things was because she thought if he could understand the way she sees things, they might be closer. And that there are so many possibilities and so many futures for everyone that no one can be sure. And we're the masters of our own future. And he eventually comes down off the roof, sobering up out of his panic and goes to hug Garnet, who deflects a bolt of lightning as we go to crits. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so future vision. <laughs> so we know how, yeah, we know how more or less how her future vision works. She sees a number of possibilities and as she says, time is a river that branches and debranches and pulls away into lakes and waterfalls and things so he doesn't so much see the exact future as juggles the likely outcomes and hence she can rather morbidly imagine potential death for Stephen in pretty much anything he does that morning mm -hmm. yeah yeah what we've we get a lot of nice and funny well not nice but funny little animations of the various unlikely ways Garnet or Stephen foresee his potential death because she's little 
super cartoony Stephen just instantly turns into an even cartoonier skeleton as soon as he dies in each scenario. Yes, like a video game. Yeah, very, very much so. I guess the a number of the visions that Garnet describes are mostly things that anyone of any decent ability to guess or knowledge of what Stephen mm-hmm. does could come to. This could be part of her sort of pushing things towards the events of the ep- episode and trying to get Stephen to understand, or that could just be the sort of things that happened to Stephen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's also the answer to the question. He just asked, is there any way I could be hurt by this? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, here you go. Here's a, here's a whole host of ways you could be hurt. I don't know how likely any of those things are, but she has been established to not have a real good handle on what's appropriate to say or to anyone. <laughs> and so, you know, she's just, I mean, she answered this question and kind of didn't seem to realize that that could really jack him up. Yeah, and he doesn't process how unlikely some of these outcomes are. So he probably sees right. an equal chance when he goes to get fry bits of choking and getting food poisoning and falling down a manhole. Mm. Being attacked by magic wasps. Being attacked by magic wasps, yes. (laughs) Or being just eaten by a shark walking by the ocean (laughs) or whatever. You know. That one's on him. Anything. I like that you point out that you don't necessarily have to be having visions of this thing. And I kind of like the mixture of judgment and future vision that because a lot of detail about what experiences with this, but it does just kind of suggest that she has to make a kind of a judgment of what is likely. Like there is some regular thought process going on and not just an automatic acceptance of these are the possible futures. Well, yeah, and she plainly will react accordingly. Like when she caught Stephen, she would just go, this is where Stephen falls down the stairs and let him thump onto the ground in front of her. Yeah. So, and I had said before that I kind of, I kind of thought they had been at least, if not completely, that that Garnet could see something that others couldn't, or had, you know, that she had abilities that the others didn't, as far as you know, sensory or extrasensory powers. But so I was surprised when I saw this one that they spun that as like a, an explicit revelation. But at the same time, Stephen does not ask about these things. He is within his character to be like, oh, explain what you mean. And he hasn't caught on, you know, to what's going on. He's noticed somehow Garnet always knows where to be, but he never asked why. Yeah, he asked a almost uncharacteristic raft of questions at the start, mm-hmm. insisting that she ex- explain it to him and yeah. She, she decided for good or ill that he was ready. And I suppose what this episode did was kind of make explicit what we'd been talking about before. This actually says, mm-hmm. yes, I have future vision and it works this way. Mm-hmm. Right. Some people kind of think that a power like this breaks a story because then you can't, you know, if you have somebody with the ability to look into the future, then you'll always want to know how could they ever be surprised or taken off guard with someone like that on the team. I mean, I disagree, but, you know, if you want to <laughs> you want to comment on that, I have some stuff to say too, but I'm curious what you think about stories with people who can tell the future. Well, as we sort of brushed on before, she doesn't see just one locked future. So in that sense, it's not a game breaker because as she points out, she sees a number of possibilities of things that can happen next. She can still be surprised because some of those possibilities aren't as high as others. Mm-hmm. For example, even right here, right now, for any future vision whatsoever, I am aware it is, say, possible that someone could burst through the apartment door. However, even though I know that's perfectly possible, I would still be surprised if it happened. Yes. So mm-hmm. I think she sees the possibilities and probabilities. I don't think beyond that she has sort of knowledge outside the sphere of what she experiences. I think it's still possible for something she can't anticipate at all to happen. Right. And I don't think it breaks it because any number of things could happen between when she's seeing something and when something happens to avert that. And as she says, she can only see how probable something is, not that it's definitely going to happen. She doesn't seem to have any one-to-one visions. I mean, I guess at the start, she was prepared for the possibility that she'd 
walk in to see Stephen coming down the stairs and he wouldn't step on a tennis ball and he'd just walk down to the bottom. It's just mm-hmm. that then she wouldn't be needed and she'd just be standing around. Right, right. <laughs> and I also think that even though I was a bit glib about it, I think there is a bit in which it's not so much seeing through time as being incredibly skilled at anticipating the many possibilities around her and sort of codifying them in her mind into what she considers her future vision. So I don't think she's like seeing five minutes into the future. I think her magic is taking into account everything it can see around her and in, I don't know, the subconscious magic part of her brain, Mm -hmm. folding together what that could mean. And I think that's a good kind of assessment of it. Like, obviously, she has a sense of some kind that the others don't have, but it's not an unusual level of judgment or insight that she handles it with. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like people who are upset by the idea of someone who can tell the future, they're like, you know, that they'll expect it to work a certain way or they'll expect it to make any kind of surprises or unusual developments in the story impossible, are not taking into account that she is a character within the story. She's not sitting here reading the script ahead of time. She's, things are happening to her and around her. And she is also interpreting those for the other people who may not be able to see what she's seeing. So it's like, and you know, I'm kind of talking about an aspect of this that you wouldn't have been exposed to because you're not in the, you know, discussion boards and stuff. But I see every once in a while people who are mad that Garnet exists or that her powers work the way that they do because they're like, well, why didn't she know about this? And how come if she can see the future, she didn't prevent that? And the way that I kind of see it is like, Okay, maybe an analogy, like uh, say you are the only person who can hear in a community where everyone else cannot hear, and they all know, oh, she has, she has that hearing thing. We don't really understand how it works because we've never had it, but she knows things are happening in other places because of vibrations, and they somehow tell her what they are. So one day I hear an alarm and I'm like, oh, that's that means fire. There's a fire. And then there's never a fire. And they're like, well, why did you say there was a fire? And I don't know either, but apparently I heard a car alarm, you know, and I can't explain to them why those two things that indicate such different outcomes sound the same to me, you know, like, and you don't, especially if you don't necessarily expect to hear an alarm at that point, you just hear an alarm and you interpret it with your ordinary judgment. Maybe you don't have the experience to know the difference between those two types of alarms, or maybe you are just defaulting to the most dangerous one because you want to protect people, but, you know, you don't necessarily have the whole picture or all of the context to understand something that you're getting some kind of sensory input for and no one else is partial to it. So you just, they have to take your word for it, how you interpret it. And sometimes you're not really sure how much of that is you think it's this, you know? So that's kind of how I see future vision type stuff in stories. Yeah. Well, to use her river analogy, she could still be caught unawares by a speedboat charging down one of the branches. Right. Or like, what does it mean that things are more likely like when they're in the big donut? And she says, I see a single potential future where Lars gives you a high five and two more potential futures where you get third degree burns all over your body. And that was her interpretation. But he was so excited at the idea of a high five from Lars that he wanted that unlikely, that future to be the one that that came true. And really it was one of the other two, (laughs) except that she got in the way of the hot coffee. Which shows again, she can avert avert what she sees simply by, well, doing so really because she just put herself between the coffee and Stephen and got to say I I eat coffee for breakfast line (laughs) coffee for breakfast oh you're tough Garnet (laughs) I don't think she drinks coffee for breakfast (laughs) but that was really cute I love that line it's interesting that Lars actually seemed to be expressing concern for her like oh are you okay that coffee was really hot maybe coming maybe potentially giving someone third degree burns is Outside his uncaring aloofness, that he has a threshold of how much he doesn't care about people, and that's on the other side. <laughs> right. She or he's scared like, of what this two-meter-tall woman is going to do to his <laughs> burnt and pissed off. 
He's standing there dripping with the coffee. But I mean, in his defense, obviously, Stephen scared him. But yeah, she probably could have reassured him by saying, I took a bath in lava this morning. Yeah, I was just thinking that sort of, unless your coffee's that kind of hot, Lars, she's probably okay. She's fine. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But she does kind of make it seem like she's possibly constantly envisioning gory deaths for people. (laughs) That's a little awful. Maybe that's why she doesn't talk much. She has to make sure she doesn't accidentally blurt out, your head could drop off at any moment. Yeah, Yeah, I really like that mixture of like that the fact that Garnet is the perceptive and quiet one, but she's also this brawler. You know, usually you have sort of the sensitive perceptive one who is not a fighter, but she's like the main fighter. She's the first one into the ring, you know, with her fists. So I like that they kind of mix some archetypes together with her. Yeah, she's quiet. (laughs) Possibly envisioning your death at this moment. (laughs) Hey, what are you thinking? What are you thinking, Garnet? Turns out spontaneous human combustion is real. (laughs) Yeah, you know, speaking of her being that quiet, it is really interesting that she had a lot of dialogue in this episode. And the fact that she has this history of being very, very quiet makes it really like you want to stop and listen when she does talk because it's probably very important and just made me think has anyone ever interrupted her in her life (laughs) well also this week unlike most other episodes the other two are nowhere around and i'd say usually she can sit back and wait for them to argue out something she can agree or disagree with whereas she's a come up all by herself Mm -hmm. right I don't know if one of the other two or both of the other two would have been able to kind of mitigate this a little bit because, you know, it was pretty clear that Stephen was starting to freak out and get really nervous, but she just kind of kept talking about it and didn't seem to understand the effect that she was having on him, which is unfortunate because she admitted later that she was letting him in on this because she thought there was a possibility it could make them closer and it kind of backfired. So what she she didn't anticipate was just how much he couldn't take it. Yeah. And I mean, the big thing that caused him to react the way that he did is what revelations she passed on. Like, oh, well, you could die in any of these ways. (laughs) You know, you know, you could you could tell him about future vision and not say that. (laughs) And also by this point, you'd think of a decent amount of past vision. She'd know as soon as Stephen hears about something new, he's going to completely run with it for the immediate future. Yeah, that is, I mean, this continues his his predilection for, like, we have to go somewhere and play with this new toy. Like, I have to show off my lion. I have to show off my cat fingers. I have to take Garnet to the big donut and ask her questions to make predictions about who was going to say hi to me. <laughs> it's just very Steven-y. But then he got something he did not expect. And yeah, I like that she interpreted the Frybits situation. He said, what if I just stand perfectly still and you probably get a really bad sunburn. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's cute. <laughs> she just wanders off with that one. Yeah, she just walks away and he follows. It's cute. Mm. There were a lot of really cute moments between them in this one, especially at the beginning and the end. Yeah, you don't see it often, but we have seen occasionally this genuine softness creeping through her exterior when it comes to Stephen. A bit like yeah. in Garnet's universe. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of a continuation of that. And I'm wondering if she's been thinking about how Stephen interprets her as not saying I love you to him because she's trying to get strong enough to do it or something. And here, I guess she's like, well, maybe I can let him in a little bit. And it really did not go well. And I mean, that must have kind of on her side of it, I'm just kind of thinking about what that would be like to say, I want to be closer to this little boy. He feels like I am not forthcoming about my feelings or myself with him. And then the moment that I share something important about me with him, something, some disaster happens. Like that must make her kind of feel like, you know, I can't talk about some of the peculiarities of my existence because it'll upset him. Yeah, there's still a line in which, quote unquote, adult, even if we're talking about adult magic gem things, just aren't right for him yet. He's still Mm -hmm. a child in many ways. Right. Even though he's a big boy and thinks he has to get rid of his toys. He's a large man. He's a large man now. (laughs) It's cute. Yeah, I really liked when they were sitting on the floor there and he's trying to wheedle it out of her. Like, you're going to tell me something cool about yourself. And she goes, nope. (laughs) 
I'm also wondering if, given some of the things we've seen to this point, if wrapped up in her motive was seeing if he also would manifest this ability because his abilities are sometimes his mother's and sometimes just kind of pop out. So Mm -hmm. I that Garnet isn't the only gem in the whole universe who has this kind of vision. She might have been wondering in the back of her mind, is this one of the powers Stephen's going to get and will... Telling him about it and showing it in use, maybe bring it to the surface. Yeah. And it didn't, except in a comical, hyperactive imagination way. But he even imagined himself a chandelier that does not exist in his house falling on him. Yes. <laughs> I really liked when she said his, his middle name was Cutie Pie. Oh, that just, oh, that made my heart just go, oh, so cute. Oh, she mm-hmm. loves him. It's just cute as heck, you know. I don't know. I just have a real big soft spot for like, you know, little Steven is there and then she's just like this huge person sitting next to him and telling him he's a cutie pie and then doing exercises with him. Weird Korean exercises that they did outside. And then she punched his radio. Yeah. (laughs) We're done now. (laughs) Okay, we're done. Like, tell us how you really feel, Garnet. (laughs) It was really cute. (laughs) Yeah. What else? I like that she said cutie pie and what else? Oh, when, when she was trying to kind of comfort him when he was starting to freak out and put down on that bicycle helmet and she's trying to like say, not, say calming things to him and it's not working very well because he's too wound up. The mayonnaise uh, will probably kill him faster. Yes, <laughs> that'll kill you faster. Not funny. <laughs> Yikes. That did not even look like a particularly sharp knife. <laughs> no, which I guess is, is part of it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, so yeah i mean something else happens with the pickle <laughs> you don't choke on a pickle <laughs> wow really something mm. but yeah the whole i want to make sure i talk talk we talk about that ending that she just kind of made this really heartfelt speech about how he has to choose his own future and you know that she made a conscious choice to try to let him into you know, kind of her, this secret, I guess. And that she said, I, I see so many things that can hurt you. I never should have let one of them be me. And that was just, ow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, she's looking at him, like meeting, meeting his eyes because she took her glasses off. Yeah, see, serious emotion moment. I take my glasses off. I look at you directly. Mm-hmm. In the dark, in the rain. <laughs> yeah, well, she doesn't want to let it all out just yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's kind of an unexpectedly emotional one. But now we know. Yeah, there's some of the things that you can, if you rewatch older ones, sometimes you can see evidence that they always planned this as, as, as Garnet's character trait, I guess, that sometimes she'll notice that something is about to happen. She'll react to it slightly before the others do, which is really cool. Like a good example is a cheeseburger backpack when the water is about to burst through the wall and make that river. And she, she's the one that reacts and says, watch out right before it happens, which is cool. Yeah. And we talked about how that's what the third eye can symbolize to, in some contexts, which they yeah. hint at here it's a third eye thing, but they don't explicitly say so. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that little animation that they did where they kind of did the simplified animation of the rivers flowing and splitting and stuff. And they started it with the picture of three simplified eyes and the bottom two closed and the top one stayed open. It was cool. But you don't want to nail it too much to the third eye because we've got characters that have got four or more eyes, which will just raise questions <laughs> if you tied it too closely. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> she, see, what was I going to say about that? She sometimes doesn't have a reaction if the other ones are surprised about something like they'll jump or react and she'll just kind of stand there and you can you can either suggest like okay this is her personality type where she's stoic and she doesn't have outward expressions of reactions and stuff. but you could also say maybe she knew it was going to happen yeah that, well that could that could have lent to her personality type is just sort of taken the edge off ever being surprised yeah and of course i guess it's more explicitly suggesting that her her amazing reflexes as in arcade mania are not really reflexes <laughs> yeah, there's probably only so many things a game as complicated as Meat Beat Mania can do for her. <laughs> yeah. And she has good reflexes. We do know that. Yeah. I guess she'd have to make split-second decisions based on the future visions. Mm. Anyway, yeah. 
<laughs> she also has to be able to tell the difference between what she's seeing right here and now and what's a future vision. Right. Yeah. Follow-up questions. I could maybe make a probing question out of that. Would you like one? <laughs> I would like So, okay. Unlike a lot of other characters who have a similar ability, like you'll see people with precognition and people who have future telling dreams and stuff, you'll see a lot of kind of emotional reactions where people will, they'll be transfixed with a vision or they'll faint or they'll have some kind of traumatic experience but then they'll not relate what they saw and stuff. She doesn't seem to be doing that. She doesn't seem to kind of spontaneously suddenly be seized with a vision, you know, like we haven't seen that at all with her. So like she's never like incapacitated by it or anything. So kind of based on what she says on it, which it seems she's doing it pretty intentionally. Do you think that she could turn it off? I would think by this point that she wouldn't so much turn it off as screen it out. The same way those of us who can hear can pay attention to the person we're talking to and not overload of every bird tweeting outside, every car going past, every dog barking in the next yard and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. I think, especially given how long she's supposed to have lived so far, we still don't have an exact figure, but she's not what you call young. She would have enough experience to filter out the information when she doesn't need it and mm -hmm would be able to, we've seen her read the paper. She <laughs> didn't just keep putting it down going, well, now I know how that article ends. <laughs> yeah. So she might be able to push them through to the back of her mind or screen them out. And if something particularly big is likely to be about to happen, that might sort of be the equivalent of a very loud noise outside, which does distract us because it's outside the usual things and usually denotes something important. So she's probably got quite an impressive mm -hmm. unconscious screening system by now. Mm hmm. Imagine that if like, I guess they don't specify whether she initiates like almost like a search engine, like what might happen, you know, kind of thing. Or if she's just kind of on all the time. I don't know if it can like kind of come unbidden that she knows something. Most future vision type things do operate like that, where they don't have to be actively looking for what is going to happen to kind of suddenly know, but they're not really being super clear about that. But then if she's there to avert a disaster, like Stephen falling down the stairs or something like, oh gosh, what are the possibilities for what is going to happen to Stephen if he tries to get a high five from Lars? You know, like she might be asking her future vision to tell her those things. But then other times it seems like she's just, oh, like in, in the Warp Tour episode that we recently watched, it seemed like she kind of knew something had happened because Pearl said, Garnet said you were floating outside the stream. So I wonder if she like had a vision. So it might not be safe to, to turn it off or screen it out. And maybe if she missed something, she would feel like crappy about that. <laughs> I also don't know... If it has a range, so to speak, mm -hmm. if she sees probably... You mean like time-wise or location-wise or what? Well, a bit of both, but time-wise, for example, we, ha we haven't seen if she's anticipating what's going to happen months ahead or only hours or minutes. And given how mm -hmm. she describes it, it could be trying to project too far ahead means there's too many other possibilities between now and then to make the prediction that worthwhile with too many other contributing factors and possible interference. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. with Stephen falling down the stairs, that could be a pretty short range thing, especially if she was, not least because it's her house, so she's likely to be there already. So she mm -hmm. could have simply been outside and her future vision could have said, hey, in a few minutes, Stephen's going to fall down the stairs. She goes, oh, I'll pop inside and catch him. Mm -hmm. But we don't, and, you know, it's not made clear. So it could be that she got she got that in the flurry of information yesterday and she just knew to time it for now. But mm -hmm. I think she, it looks from what we've seen that it's comparatively sh short term, if for nothing else, then otherwise there's just too much, too many possibilities to make any of them entirely coherent or worthwhile. And I'd say yeah. sifting through those is also part of what I described earlier, that she's at least on some level screening information for useful things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that if every little choice that you could make that's different goes into a different timeline or whatever, it would be very hard to make long-range plans. I mean, unless you wanted a very specific, unusual future and you could make that future happen by forcing the choice. It's like, if I do this, then this will happen. 
only if I do this. So she'd do that and make sure she gets that timeline. It seems like just because you can see the future doesn't mean you get a choice of which futures are available unless it's about you. So mm, there's a DC Comics super sometimes hero, sometimes villain called Major Disaster who has a similar power, but he can he can take matters into his own hands to sort of manipulate the probabilities. So it's a, mm-hmm. a bit like that. I mm. imagine if Garnet really put her mind to it, she might be able to do something like that. But she, mm. well, in fact, fits in with her message to Stephen that ultimately we're in charge of our own future. So she might not want to manipulate outside of immediate things like saving Stephen from falling down the stairs. Mm-hmm. But like major disaster was doing things like he was upsetting some great nuclear incident by bringing cheese into a nuclear lab because he knew there was a mouse behind a piece of equipment and the cheese would excite the mouse, which would knock this, which would cause someone to tumble into that, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. So I'd say similar powers, different approach to how they use them. And I think also, yeah, Garnet might not want herself to have that much power. Yeah. It seems like in some cases she's sort of passive about it because you note that when Stephen falls down the stairs, she catches him, but she doesn't warn him, hey, Stephen, you're about to fall down the stairs. Like she just waits to see if it'll happen and then tries to fix it for so he doesn't actually get hurt. But it's like, you know, I mean, you probably don't have that long to make a decision about what you're going to do. And if she had just said, Stephen, watch out, there's a ball on the stairs or gone over there and taken it out. Yeah. You know, then he wouldn't have had that experience of realizing he needs to watch his step, you know, so maybe she just figured he needs to learn not to do that. Well, on part of that, I would say that saying, hey, Stephen, you're about to step on a tennis ball would simply make Stephen step on a tennis ball. It's because yeah. he's that kind of person. So she probably yeah. also has to think of it in, the, in those terms. But I could see based on, again, what comparatively little we've seen so far, that she might have sort of a line that she takes herself as as far as Stephen's going to fall down the stairs. I'll catch him, but I'm not going to manip- manipulate the music market so Stephen becomes a rock star in the future. Right. Yeah. I was a little bit worried about when she told him, don't go on the roof. And then of course he only goes on the roof because she put that idea in his head. Like I was thinking it's one of those impossible loops that sometimes, that that sometimes annoys me when it's in books that have a power like this, where someone, you know, sees themselves getting hit by a car. So they, or sees someone getting hit by a car. So they run to the site to stop it. And it's them getting hit by a car. And I'm like, what is your psychic sense just trolling you? What's going on? You know, so I was worried it was going to kind of come out like that. But I guess she was realizing that if Stephen was really flipping out about this and it really needed to, she needed to make a point that she could put this into the timeline to end the problem, I guess. And she had already realized that it wasn't going well. It wasn't going according to one of the timelines she was hoping for. And that carried the distant possibility that he might get the message and not go on the roof. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, the viewers, know he will because he's Stephen and that's how the show works. Right. I'd say she was also saying maybe if he does get the point and understands the message of not going onto the roof and why, maybe he will understand a bit more and we will be closer. Yeah. So she was slightly gambling, but from her description, it's what she does when she tries to work on any of the possibilities because she herself says none of them are definite. She only sees likelihoods and possibilities and outcomes and anything else is is just based on – one's own mortal, if you will, assessment of the situation. Sure. Yeah. She says no one can see the future. Mm. And you choose your own. I think maybe by the end of it, it probably did bring them closer. So certainly physically, he was hugging her knees at the end. (laughs) Unfortunately, it seems gems don't conduct electricity. Otherwise, he'd have been fried in the last scene. Yeah. She has shown only in one episode, though, she seems to have electric powers. So she started up that arcade machine with with her electric hands. (laughs) So maybe she can do what she wants with electricity. Otherwise, at least Steven would have been toast. He would have been a cooked little boy and then turn into little cartoon bones and go. (laughs) And that's how it ends because this is Lamar Abrams (laughs) and he's a weirdo. (laughs) 
Yeah, I noticed his name at the start. <laughs> yeah, I think he probably had a lot to do with the weirdness of this episode. Um, the many deaths of Steven Universe. The many deaths and the strange sense of humor and the fact that they devoted, I don't know how many seconds or if it was a whole minute or what, to a wordless Korean exercise on the beach for no reason. You know, just, I'm not sure what, feel sure that this was something Lamar wanted to do (laughs) just because he's a strange person. He acquired some Korean exercise tape from a thrift shop in like 1996 or something. He's determined to work it in somewhere. (laughs) I like that Steven had little barbells that he lifted as part of the exercise and Garnet just brought out her big fists as weight. Yeah, it's cute. And then she punched with them. She's just like, well, now that I've got these on, I've got to punch something. How about the radio? (laughs) Okay, we're done. (laughs) Greg will need another stereo. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, the electronics in Steven's possession have not had a great life. So many of them have have died at the hands of gem weapons. That makes it a bit surprising that he has all these older pieces of technology because it meant they've lasted this long around all the (laughs) destruction. Maybe Greg is just a regular at the thrift shop and he just keeps picking up another tube TV every time something gets smashed. Oh, that that barn would be full of old 8-tracks and CRT TVs and gramophones that he's going to fix up someday. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <sighs> he does have that duct tape. Yeah. Yeah. So even though the actual chronology of the series that we've seen doesn't quite support it, he seems like a guy who was around for the era of eight tracks and proper vinyl records and things. Yeah, more than likely. It seems like he would have some of that stuff and definitely a tape deck. <laughs> yeah, he's just one of those people who occasionally laments being born 30 years too late. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the van has a CD player. Yeah, well, he pl- he played his own CD in it. Yes, I'm pretty sure it's a CD player in that van right now, but he probably wishes it had a tape deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The voice had a weakness for eight tracks and just how chunky they are, even though they're far from the best way to do what they do. It's just the, yeah. the tangibility of them, these great yeah. things you clunk into a slot to make them. Yes. You know, I have actually never interacted in person with a real eight track, but I'm about to inherit inherit one, actually. I raised my hand when we were discussing what we're going to do with some of the possessions that my grandparents had. And, you know, and they both passed away relatively recently. And we finally decided to sit down as a family and decide who's getting the stuff. And I am now ending up with the lion's share of the stuff because I kept saying, ooh, 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 that. I want that. Yeah. So I'm going to have an eight track soon. Yeah. But my experience with such things as clunkiness was I'm thinking of the Atari games were very clunky. And so were the original Nintendo. These big games, these, you know, they're not discs, they're big chunky cartridges that you can blow into if they're misbehaving. (laughs) And, you know, this is not ancient history for us. (laughs) This is like, this was our lifetime. So, (laughs) but you know, Kids today are talking about it like it's prehistory. <laughs> oh my God, the 70s. It's like, hey, I'm from the 70s. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember much of it or any of it really. One of my friend's kids plays with their parents' old stuff like that. They're young enough not quite to understand time and technology. So they don't know that their iPad and their parents' old Atari-like machine are you know, 30 or 40 years apart. They just think these are different things that exist. Yes. <laughs> yep. Mm. I definitely would have just died for the technology of today when I was a kid, just especially since I love to make lists and I was forever rewriting lists because I wanted them to be in a certain order. And if I had to add something or forgot something, I had to rewrite the list and now I can just make a list and insert. So, oh my goodness, how much time that has saved me to make lists. I was so into listening to spoken word things. So where podcasts and full audio books were when I was a kid. Yeah. Should we talk about music? Yes, let's talk about music. We've brushed on one of them, the Korean dance exercise (laughs) track. 
I don't know what that is called. As far as I know, I don't know if it has a specific title. The really cute one is the death rag. They call it death rag for the cute jaunty music that is playing behind all of the fantasies of Stephen Perishing. So that is what it's called. And I guess there's a couple versions of it. There's one in a major key and one in a minor key. So I wonder if this was one of the ones they had to negotiate and push for to get showing their protagonist's deaths many times over on screen. That is a good question. I don't know of any negotiations with that. I do know that, especially in countries outside of the United States, they tend to censor what we don't think of as violent over here. And then somewhere else, they're saying, that's too violent to say or show. So we're just going to skip that. I don't know about this, but... Yeah, Australia is a bit random like that. And it's got even more random now that we've got streaming services that don't get their stuff from the same place that the TV people do, the broadcast TV people. Mm -hmm. It used to be that when they had to physically ship things over if an Australian censor decided something was too violent or too saucy or whatever, they'd make a cut and any other screening of that thing in this country, even if it was handed over to another network, would come from that physical copy. But Mm. now, especially with streaming, for example, they'll go straight to the source. Unless there's something actually illegal to show for one reason or another, they'll usually keep it intact, or at least if they make any changes, it'll be their own, not just whatever was done for broadcast television. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I do not know whether they'd let him die on screen <laughs> in other countries. Yeah, because usually I've watched your copy of something that you've sent me, which is presumably what's being shown in the United States, but yes. I don't recall any of the time when I've gone back to watch, I've watched the ones on the Australian streaming service, and I don't mm-hmm. recall any of them being different. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, I think most of the censoring that I have heard about has been in the UK or in the Middle Eastern countries. And it is almost all the time it's about violence. They'll cover it up with like a white flash rather than actually showing the fist entering someone's face, you know, just and it is really interesting when I read about other countries censorship that because of my experience as somebody who grew up in the United States seeing very violent cartoons that nobody even thought about, like, oh, this is violent. I realized, oh, that could be interpreted as violent. And we're just very cavalier about violence over here. (laughs) And about weapons, like just guns and stuff. Just, you can have a gun in a cartoon. It's no big deal. Yeah, like you may have heard, I may even have mentioned on this show before, that for ages you couldn't show nunchaku in anything released in the... UK certainly couldn't show them being used and Mm. they would snip them out of movies and TV and they would even alter episodes of Ninja Turtles to not show the nunchaku and that's why in later episodes of the original series Michelangelo acquires this ninja line grappling thing because it was a sop to the UK people who kept having to cut around his nunchaku use which there was a lot of because he was a ninja turtle. Yes and that's his weapon. (laughs) Wow. UK does a lot of reacting to specific events. Mm. Uh, You know, if there's been a recent gun massacre, then guns and shooting would be much more of a concern for a while. And a couple of years ago, there was when a journalist was sadly beheaded, a beheading, even though it was of a robot, was cut out of that week's Doctor Who. So Mm. it's a very immediate reaction sort of thing. And it can take, depending on who's paying attention, it can take weeks or years before it comes down again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess, I don't know, I'm trying to think about how I feel about that because, you know, on the one hand, you don't want somebody's art to be disrupted, but on the other hand, it's like, well, you don't want to do something really upsetting, like a trigger people and stuff. So, yeah, when there was less casual violence and Honestly, I think I would be less worried about casual violence on American television if we weren't so ridiculous about nudity and sexuality. Because, I mean, even as a person who does not particularly want to see that on TV, I find it really disturbing that even implied nudity is considered inappropriate for children. And, you know, even if it's not a sexual situation, whereas weapons are no big deal. I mean, I would much rather someone be exposed to neutral depictions of bodies than to violence. (laughs) But I live in the wrong country for that. (sighs) Britain's also a bit easier with language. So damn Mm -hmm. simply isn't a big deal in Britain at all. No, no. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. The Puritan history of this country, the nudity and the swear words. Those are sins. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It just depends on kind of who a piece of media is for also that if you say you're showing something to children, there's all kinds of important stuff about it that you're not allowed to do. <laughs> I have, there's an, on the list. There's a story, and I've never been able to tell, tell how, I've never been able to confirm it, that way back when they were making MASH, they were asked to stop using the word virgin. And just as a screw you to those senses in a later episode, they brought in someone from the Virgin Islands. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I once got thrown out of a chat for saying shiitake mushrooms. Oh, uh, which I intentionally misspelled it because mm-hmm. I wanted to see if that would happen, and it did. <laughs> the Scunthorpe factor, they call it. <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of trolling them, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> that's weird because I mean that combination of letters is in a lot of things that are not swear words, but yeah. well, go figure. People, people who lived in Scunthorpe found they couldn't refer to where they lived because it too had a yeah. pattern of letters in there. Yeah, I was not allowed to use the username that I wanted to use because it had the word swank in it. Ah. And they thought I wanted to say wank. Mm. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> They're like, your username is explicit. And I had to think for a second. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I can't use it here. I've never seen that before. So it's very weird. Just happened this week. <laughs> very weird. So, yeah, so we didn't have a proper song song this week, but we had the death rag, which we just talked about death. And there was also the title drop instrumental song, Future Vision. And fun fact, the Future Vision instrumental track was my ringtone for a really long time. <laughs> On my phone, I set it as my ringtone, just, and I like Garnet. So. <laughs> well, this would have been such a place to do a... I, have you heard of the... Dumb Ways to Die PSA? No. It, a PSA here with a nice jaunty tune called So Many Dumb Ways to Die and showing these bright, <laughs> just not human enough cartoon figures doing things like standing on railroad tracks or ignoring road signs and things and getting cut up or fried or electrocuted or whatever is appropriate to that disaster. And of course, the message was... These are dumb ways to die that are easily avoided by not doing things like standing on the railroad track or sticking a knife in a toast or things like that. But yes. it caught on this because of such a memorable little tune and this montage of just these little cartoon people getting bloodlessly slaughtered. And I've realized now that the little montage of Stephen's possible deaths reminded me of that. Oh, that's great. Hmm. I wonder if it's a reference. Seems like I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure which happened when or if it's just a lucky coincidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 2015, if that helps. I'm, I know so many dumb ways to die was recent-ish, but I'm not exactly sure. And I suppose I can just oh, sidebar okay. and check just for the heck of it. A happy coincidence. <laughs> yeah, dumb. Korean song was a reference to the Korean national d- gymnastics, but I don't know if the song itself is a reference to, or if it's called that. Oh no, Dumb Ways to Die was 2012, so it is, and it did oh. catch on with Strange, basically fans of Strange PSAs, and I have no trouble believing Lamar would be one of those. <laughs> or the uh, creatives behind the instrumental tracks, I, you know. <laughs> Could very well be. I'd be surprised at all if something like that had influenced them. It was it was boarded by Lamar Abrams and Helen Joe, still the team. She's his partner for I guess the season two. So it's always the two of them together. So to be honest, I don't know how weird Helen Joe is. No, it's, she could be really weird. I don't know. <laughs> probably hard to tell when sort of you've been immediately paired up with Lamar, who's by this point definitely made his proclivities known. That's the thing, because before he got paired with Helen, and then after he was no longer paired with Helen, all of his episodes have this flavor, and I know it's him. (laughs) He is a strange man. (laughs) So I'm going to have to look and see what what he put on his advertisement for this episode on his blog, because he almost always drew some kind of really weird, misleading piece of art and would would write some kind of extremely enthusiastic description of it that was had absolutely no relationship so 
<laughs> don't recall exactly what this one was. <laughs> Ma, you're amazing, but you're a troll. He's kind of, yeah. But I mean, everyone knew that his stuff would not have any relationship with what actually happened. So you're never actually expecting it to happen. Mm. Tell me about your attempts to make the fatal sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> so I did try to make that mayo sandwich, which if you look at the ingredients for what he has there, it seems like it would have been a very peculiar sandwich, regardless of the mayo situation. <laughs> he had like, and this is one of the things that I've noticed about Steven Universe. In general, they tend to do things that other cartoons don't do in that the uh, the brands on their stuff is are very specific and seem to sometimes reference other things, but they still do the one thing in cartoons that, that blows my mind is like whole sandwiches will be already put together, but in the fridge that way and uncovered mm. and stuff. And I've talked about this before, but this one, this one had leaves of spinach just laying on the counter, not in anything. They're just laying there. Pieces of cheese laying on the counter. I'm like, what are you doing, Stephen? Do you just take things out of packages and lay them on the count on the on the counter and then just put them together and eat the, it's just so strange anyway well, in this case you might have got the leaves out and thought oh no what if i suddenly get a spinach allergy <laughs> yeah so there's cheese and spinach and mayo and bread it appears that that was going to be his sandwich there was nothing else okay cheese and spinach i've encountered before and have indeed had so yeah i can well, get behind that that is, I did attempt to dump an entire lump of whatever would come out of the mayo's jar onto my sandwich, and I did that, and I did not eat it like that. I finished the sandwich that I think he was going for, and I tried that. It wasn't bad, but uh, some people have said they think it's a reference to one of Rebecca Sugar's student films, which is called Singles. I don't know that you would have encountered that. Probably not yet, not. anyway. She has a really very, very weird student film called Singles, where somebody makes a sandwich with those ingredients and eats it, and the singles are cheese singles, but also other references. <laughs> Does, does the mayonnaise even stay in a lump like that? Every time I've seen it, it's been fairly liquidy. Well, I guess it depends on the brand, but I got some, I got a smallish jar of mayonnaise and it was difficult for it to come out of the jar. I was having a hard time getting it out of the jar. <laughs> and when I finally, it came out in a big lump and just <laughs> pretty much just like Steven. <laughs> so yeah i'm also not a big fan of mayonnaise so i'm not aware of its many possibilities yeah if you have it in like a dish already it can be more liquidy mm-hmm. and yeah. spready in the bar it, it like a little st- <laughs> yeah you usually have only had it at all in a dish whereas you say it's already yes yeah it's pretty spreadable It did come out in a clump like that. And part of the reason that I had a hard time getting it out of the jar is to like squeeze it because I had a squeezable one, somewhat squeezable jar. And I did wear a bike helmet while I did this because you never know when you might ride a bike. (laughs) This is almost certainly unintentional on their part, but it reminded me of a dog food ad that used to always be on where someone would take the top off the can and it would slide out in one big cylinder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely done that when I used to have a dog in high school when I lived with my family. And I would have to feed the dog and it was a big chunk of food shaped like the can. And you had to cut it up or something. Yuck. That is this episode when we did so many birthdays. There was the vegan tuna that I used for my gross brown and vegan. (laughs) And it was disgusting. It came out in a like that. (laughs) Ugh. So, but that was the only food. Yeah. Well, Stephen wasn't going to dare eat anything else in case he got food poisoning or choked or fell in a manhole. That's true. Did he take his fry bits with him or did he just leave them there? I forget. Hmm. I don't remember. Yeah, I can't recall either. I was looking at Garnet, just wandering off. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, I pride myself on having made every food that exists in this show, but I have to admit I've never brewed coffee and thrown it on myself. That was something that just popped into my mind. Yes, <laughs> We're dedicated enough to that. And- I'm not dedicated enough to get third degree burns for this show. That's yeah. all I can say. Yeah. I have indeed brewed coffee, so. There we go. <laughs> I think that's enough, you know. If only I had known that. The factoids for this include the description, which I have written down as Stephen learns that Garnet can see into the future and becomes curious about the possible dangers that lurk around him. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. It's very descriptive. I still think it kind of tells too much, but (laughs) 
Yeah, sometimes I feel sorry for them because it's hard to give a summary of accidentally blowing the main attraction of the episode. Indeed. I think the only other piece of fun factiness that I have is that, and I had to steal this from other people always saying this, because I've watched a lot of other reactions and I've read other like live blogs and stuff. People always say that those big bees, the big wasps, look like bee drills from Pokemon, which you know I wouldn't know because I do not do Pokemon, but they're like, oh, why are there bee drills here? They apparently bear a stunning resemblance to bee drills. Oh, yeah. Okay. That would be what my brain was trying to pick on because I only know Pokemon through Pokemon Go, but they're going, okay. those, those wasp guys, they look like they're from something and I can't quite place it. I thought I might've been thinking of Beast Wars, but it's probably Pokemon. We're made of magic. Yeah, <laughs> magic. <laughs> It was funny that he kept coming up with bizarre ways that he could he could die and he envisioned Cookie Cat coming and yeah. zapping him. <laughs> I never thought you might be evil. <laughs> the fully realized Cookie Cat complete with spaceship was kind of fun. Yes. I feel that that makes a good segue into my merch item. Awesome. Brand spanking new mint in box. This is a travel cup with a Cookie Cat on it. Oh, and it has the cartoon version, which seems to be from Steven's animations from the first episode. So I chose this because he mentioned Cookie Cat, and Cookie Cat is discontinued, so we don't really get to have Cookie Cat stuff. So I have to use every chance I get to feature a Cookie Cat item. I've been kind of thinking how much there is about Cookie Cat for a snack that was discontinued in the first episode. Exactly. You get the idea that they weren't really into the food. They just wanted the merchandise, and Steven probably has all of it. But yeah, similar to that, though, in the real world, there's a lot of Cookie Cat stuff, even though it was only in Gem Glow. So now that they've had a reference, I've decided to use that as a reason to bring this on the show. Although I felt like for an episode that's so heavily Garnet stuff, I was like, I, I should have a Garnet related thing. So I'm also going to show you an unofficial item, which is, uh, now I have to show it to you actually on my hands. These are crocheted Garnet gloves. Ooh, they're pretty. They are fan items, so I will put a picture of them in the video version, but a friend bought these for me. They're a little bit too big, but that's okay. I like fingerless gloves. Well, that also kind of makes them work when you consider how chunky they are, and even on garnet. Yes. So I like wearing these in the winter or anytime I'm in an air-conditioned room and I still have to type. They are fingerless, and they have a cute little garnet theme with a star on it. Made the star stand out. I've always noticed the big, chunky, laid-on star that it's a separate piece on garnet's actual gloves, gauntlets. Yeah, so for merchandise-type stuff, I always like to show official items, but unofficial items are amazing as well. So this is by an Etsy artist named Olive and Brooke. I'll have to check and see if that person is still a seller and still making stuff before I link it, but I would link it if people want these. So, but officially my merch item is the cookie cat cup. So that's the best I can do. <laughs> I do have other garnet stuff, but so much of it references stuff that I want to show you the whole item and it seems to reference spoilers a lot with a lot of the other garnet stuff I have. Either that or it's part of a set that I want to show you the set and there's reasons that I can't. <laughs> so that is future vision. What else? Anything else we should talk about now that we've we run through all of those segments that we usually do? No, well, the headline was getting future vision confirmed for us, basically. Yes. And we really deep dove into what it means and what it can do. And I imagine it'll pop up again and we'll have more fodder for the conversation. I mean, already you can sort of see going back how it does and doesn't work. I mean, look yeah. look back at Mirror Gem and you can say obviously the idea that someone was living in a mirror was just too remote for Garnet to jump up and say, Lapis is in that mirror. Yeah, there was, there was no like Pearl pulling this mirror out of her head and then Garnet bursting through the door. Don't give that to him. It's dangerous. <laughs> you know, like it was not on her radar. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, so even, even if it did pop up in one of her visions, one of her many visions, she'd probably be gone. Mm -hmm. No, we don't have gems just lying around in our stuff. Yeah, it could be that wherever the timeline splits, she didn't even follow that river. <laughs> yeah, yes. She was just busy, busy sitting in an inner tube floating down a different one. <laughs> so, yeah, that must be interesting to what being surprised is like for her. <laughs> Well, if you're of a mindset, you could headcanon. This is also part of how they get their income because this might make her good at putting bets on sports matches or horse races or whatever. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, we certainly know that Amethyst is happy to cheat at games. We saw her in that arcade just sitting on the skee-ball machine, putting the balls directly into the highest hole. So we would have to see if the other gems would be up for cheating. <laughs> I could imagine she could rationalize it as if they're simply making the money they need to feed Stephen and repair the house or whatever, that, you know, this isn't cheating. This is just a necessary part of the process. Right. Or possibly someone else could persuade her just by asking her questions like, which way is this going to happen? And then she could say, and she could just then claim innocence and have no idea why she's being asked these questions. She's like, you had questions, I had answers. <laughs> or, may- or maybe she genuinely doesn't. And every so often, Greg goes and says, oh, which, which horse do you think will win this race? And she answers with, you know, golden dove and just thinks Greg is really interested in horses. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I could see that happening. Hmm. I have to go over to Funland and see if there's any, any games she could cheat at. <laughs> Seems like more of them would be games you could cheat at with shape-shifting, though. <laughs> which she can also do <laughs> or there are games with things that you can punch so <laughs> yeah she doesn't necessarily need to see the future just punch really hard yeah yep hmm. nope that's that fingers crossed to see more about future vision in the near future <laughs> but our own future vision tells us that next time we're going on the run yes from what we will have to discuss in the next episode I guess we'll thank our listeners and bid them a fond farewell. Night all. You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not So Giant Women. You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not So Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash not so giant women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Podsploitation, the Ozploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended.